Thank you, Bob and Nancy, for scripture reading this morning, and Brenda for the children's message, and June and Kateri for special music. We are a blessed congregation. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. This morning, we continue on the journey through David's life, and if you've missed the past few sermons, don't worry. We encourage you uh, to catch up on the live stream recordings that we have online, or you can now use the podcasts uh, where we archive the sermons in your favorite podcast platform. Today we are going to encounter some of the less traveled episodes of David's story. And they are some of the crazier and more peculiar scenes as well. We're in the portion of the story when David is running away from Saul, and we'll see that David is living in what scholars tend to call the dark days of David's life. We do have a lot of ground to cover this morning. We have five chapters to cover. So please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 26, and we do ask you to listen for the word of God when we do read. To cover this much ground, we will hit key points of the chapter and then offer some reflection and summary before moving on to the next. In chapter 26, we find that David is fleeing from Saul, who is trying to kill David, but the plot twists with David finding Saul asleep. In verse 9 of chapter 26, David tells his friend uh, Abisha, or, or Abishai, who is preparing to kill Saul, David says, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head, and let's go. So David took the spear and the water jug near David's head, or I'm sorry, Saul's head, and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them in a deep sleep. Scholars share that the spear King Saul had was likely a ceremonial spear provided to him at the beginning of his king, king, uh, kingship. So David taking... David taking that spear has a sense of irony to it, right? David, the next king, now has possession of the ceremonial spear given to kings. Also, of course, taking a spear and water from another in a battlefield was life-threatening. Remember, they're away from home, they're in a battle zone. So while David did spare Saul's life again, there is no mistake that they are still adversaries. We pick up again in this chapter in verse 17, when Saul realized that David was there. Saul says, is that your voice, David, my son? David rep replied, yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done, and what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, people have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. 
They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, Go and serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and their faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I value, valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. As we see in verse 19 that we just read, it's common to be forced to worship the gods of other lands where you reside. And that will be something we come back to. But for now, make note that David remains faithful to the Lord, at least for now. And the reason why I say for now, because David soon enters those dark days that we have mentioned earlier. In verse 20 that we read seems to lay some groundwork for these dark days. David speaks on how King Saul chases him like hunting a pigeon in the mountains. And in those days, the strategy for hunting pigeons in the mountains included chasing them until those pigeons were exhausted. David is getting exhausted. When we get exhausted, what happens? Physically, of course, we slow down, we get weaker, but what else happens? Maybe we fall into the pressures, or more easily fall into the pressures of temptation. Maybe our patience shortens, maybe we get a little bit grumpy. The combination of exhaustion and being surrounded by other gods will prove problematic for David in the coming chapters. He starts acting in ways that he should not. So in reflection of chapter 26 that, we, that we've read bits and pieces of, we see one strength of David that we can take away and one vulnerability of David that does bleed into chapter 27. So first, we see that David remembers the Lord's instructions. We see that David, up to this point, has displayed righteousness and faithfulness even when it wasn't militarily or politically advantageous at the time. Yet, we see that David has placed himself in a vulnerable position, seeking refuge in the lands of other gods. He is far from the Lord's presence. David is exhausted in a land that is not the Lord's. As reflection, when the enemy is chasing us, let us remember to remember the Lord's instructions and find refuge in the Lord's presence. In our polarized society, it is important for us to remember the Lord's instruction. In our society, when, the enemy, uh, when our enemy is down, we're, we are told to strike them dead. But instead... We are called to love one another and to be generous 
toward one another. We don't seek to destroy, but rather we seek to disarm, just as David disarmed Saul. Further, we are to seek refuge in the land of our Lord. The land of the Lord is with God's people, kingdom people. And on this side of Christ, it is the church. So when we are exhausted and when we are being chased by the enemy, remember the Lord's instruction and seek refuge with God's people. Seek refuge in the body of Christ. Moving into chapter 27, we see the beginning of the dark days for David. In verse 1 it starts, But David thought to himself, One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul, and the best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hands. So David and 600 men left with him and went over to Achish, the son of Moab, king of Gath. So biblical writers often use irony in their stories to kind of tie everything together. So David, the one who defeated Goliath, a Philistine, now seeks refuge in the land of the Philistines. And he brings his family to Gath, which is where Goliath is from. In verse 4, we see that Saul hears that David fled from Gath, and it's telling that Saul no longer pursues David after hearing where David is staying. In verse 5 of 27, chapter 27, David spoke to the king of Gath, saying, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there. So here we see David is seeking favor from the world leaders. And this might be pointing to the fact that David may no longer be seeking the Lord's favor, but the world leader's favor. We also see David starting to seek his own military, economic, and political advantages during this time in his life. And we see in chapter 27 that David raids several communities, killing everyone there and then taking their possessions. David has gone from being the next king of Israel, right, God, the next king of God's people, to now their enemy. And we see in verse 12 the king of Gath he says, David has become so obnoxious to his people, the Israelites, and he will be my servant for life. It's interesting to note that in chapter 26, David mentions the Lord 15 times, but doesn't mention the Lord once in chapter 26. In fact, he doesn't mention the Lord once in the next three chapters. It's actually the king of Gath that speaks of, the, of Israel's God before David does again. David's going into those dark days. As we look back at chapter 27 as a whole, we see the consequences of David's actions, right? No longer is he seeking the Lord's instructions, but instead he is seeking the instructions of world leaders. And then we see that David leaves God's people, but now also joins God's people's enemy. How do we reflect on this? Well, I'd like to propose two different types of dark days in hopes that we may be able to decipher where we are, 
how David should have responded and how we could respond when we encounter dark days in our own lives. The first kind of dark day I'd like to propose, maybe we could call it the dark days of cross-bearing or dark days of suffering. David has expressed and experienced this type of dark days plenty of times in Scripture. We see this in his Psalms of Lament. Chapter 22, it starts off, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words were written during dark days. And they are directed toward the Lord. And we see later, his descendant Jesus, our Savior, while on the cross, uttering those same words in his dark day. We see David in the darkness of the valley of the, of the shadow of death in Psalm 23. In that darkness, he seeks the Lord. He seeks comfort in the Lord. He dwells in the house of the Lord. So that's the first kind of dark day. The dark days of cross-bearing. The dark days of suffering. And now the second kind of dark day I'd like to propose. Perhaps we can call it dark, the dark days of unbelief. We see in our story that David no longer seeks the Lord's instruction. We see that he no longer seeks the Lord at all. He seeks the instruction of worldly powers. He is not dwelling in the house of the Lord, but in the land of other gods, of false gods. In these dark days, psalms cease to be written. In these dark days, inner groanings cease to be made into prayerful petitions that are directed toward God. If we were to sketch out the topography of the land of the Philistines, the land of unbelief, we can place a David was here marker smack dab in the middle of it. So as God's people, us, we find ourselves on occasion in dark days. Let it be the days, the dark days of cross-bearing, not unbelief. Dwell in the presence of God. Direct your, gro your groanings and your petitions to him. Let your heart continue to write its own psalms, its own prayers to our Lord. We are here for a reason. God has a plan for us in his story, and we will have a cross to bear. So, engage our role. Do not run away from the Lord's plans. Otherwise, we may end up like David. We fall into unbelief and may even become the enemy of God's people, an enemy that seeks to destroy the body of Christ. And we see David fall exactly into that type of dark day in chapter 28. So chapter 28, verse 1. In those days the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, You must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. David said, Then you will see for yourself what your servant can do. Achish replied, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. These are the darkest moments in David's dark days of unbelief. He now prepares to destroy God's people. 
while expressing his faithfulness to a Philistine king. The rest of chapter 28, we are immersed in a separate scene, including Saul. Saul is in his own dark days of sorts, his own dark days of unbelief, perhaps. In verse 4, we see that Saul learns that the Philistines were preparing to attack. And in verse 5, it says, terror filled Saul's heart. He knows David is hiding with the Philistines. In Saul's fear, he reaches out to the Lord. And with a quick read, that may sound like a good thing, but there is a deeper problem here. Saul seeks out the Lord through dreams. Uh, Urim, which is a, a, often is referred to as white stones. He, re, he refers to pro, inquires through prophets. And these were not uncommon means for seeking the Lord's instructions. Similar attempts could be found in the Old Testament. Comparable attempts could be found really all throughout the ancient Near East. And while the one true God can surely speak through dreams, he can surely speak through his creation, and he has and will speak through prophets, the point of the biblical writers here is, that it is likely that Saul, who has not sought the Lord's instruction for some time, is not in a spiritual condition that is conducive for dialogue with the Lord. It very well may be a situation where Saul was not seeking to follow, to follow what the Lord would have said, but maybe for other reasons. With no reply for God, from God, Saul continues this path using different means and methods to perhaps get an answer that Saul himself is looking for, whatever that may be. So we see in verse 7, Saul says to an attendant, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. Again, irony here. Saul seeks answers from the very powers that he has outlawed in verse 3 of this chapter. And what we come across is perhaps one of the most peculiar scenes in David's story. And I'm going to read through this, starting in verse 8. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, Saul said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What, what does he look like, Saul asks. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. And then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. 
Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he has predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of the hands, out of your hands, and given it to one of your neighbors, given it to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all day and all nights. So I don't know about you, but that scene is quite bizarre. I leave with more questions than answers through that group of texts, and a deep dive into study material will have to be saved for another day. But here are two things maybe we can consider. We are now doubly reminded about the dark days of unbelief. Saul's dark days, as Samuel puts it, are because the Lord has departed from Saul. And similar to David, in these dark days, Saul became the enemy of God. Saul's disgraceful end brings God's people close to destruction at the hand of the Philistines. We're also reminded of God's sovereignty. That despite the lack of faithfulness, despite the unbelief of the leaders of God's people, God is still in control. God puts up kings and he takes them down. Kings that do good and kings that do evil. As reflection in this chapter, as God's people, we must seek the Lord's instruction with a spiritual posture that is prepared to follow God's instruction. And that spiritual posture needs to be cultivated. That relationship with God needs nurturing. God is not some genie that you can request at any point on demand. Enter into God's presence and operate your life from that location. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but every day for the rest of your life, on this side of eternity and the other side. There is no reason to depart the Lord. He is sovereign, and you can stop crying. If you stop crying out to him, God will still continue to do his work. If you don't join him, you simply start becoming his enemy. We, finite beings with finite powers, fighting against the infinite one with all the power. Moving into chapter 29, we find that David is sent away from attacking the Israelites as other leaders in the Philistine army, uh, military rather, learned about David's involvement in their military activities. So just a couple notes on this chapter. Verses 6 and 7, we see the king of Gath mention the Lord's name to David. Mentioning the Lord's name before David mentions the Lord's name. It says, as surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable. And I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came until today, I found no fault in you. But the rulers, they don't approve of you. Now turn back and go in peace. 
do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. So in reflection of this chapter, David departs, David's departure from the Lord has gone so far away that even the leaders of the Philistines name the Lord before David does. And then there's another double confirmation. The Lord is in control. God is sovereign. David is not to destroy the Israelites. And God uses the Philistine leaders to stop it. Also, David sought belonging with the enemies of God. But the enemies of God devour and betray themselves. So our application for the chapter, have you ever seen people outside the church act more like the church than the people within it? It, All too often we see things hit the news headlines about church leadership not acting very Christ-like. As messengers of the good news, we have responsibility to maintain ourselves in a way that is fitting for the role God has us play in God's story. And remember, God will never abandon us. We seek refuge in the world, but in the end, the world will abandon us. And while we may cry out to God about the dark days of cross-bearing, our dark days of suffering, remember that the only place adequate for our refuge is God's presence. So our final chapter, chapter 30, thank you for your patience as we go through all of this. After David's family is taken from him in captivity, we see that David turns back to God in verse 6. In the second half of the verse, it says, David found strength in the Lord his God. And this verse is the pivot point. We see that the tides turn favorable for David as he seeks the instruction of the Lord once again. We start in verse 7 of chapter 30. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, the Lord said. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So this, this verse is loaded with significance. So Abiathar was Saul's former priest, and now that same priest listens to David. And this is also contrasted earlier from Saul's earlier attempt to seek direction from God. Saul sought dreams and prophecies, which is, again, not completely uncommon for that time to seek answers from God. But Saul receives no answer. Yet David receives an ephod, which is a piece of clothing for priests, as part of his attempt to inquire the Lord's instruction. And what the biblical writers may be pointing to here is that David once again seeks to follow the Lord's instructions to yield to God's authority. David had a spiritual posture to accept that, while perhaps Saul did not. For the rest of the chapter, we see that David continues in his battles, but this time mentions the Lord again in his dialogue. And perhaps we are in the early signs of David going out of his dark days, early signs of him returning to the Lord. And David also expresses a sense of generosity and sharing with his people as they argued about who should receive the goods that Lord gave them. 
So that was a lot to go through. And I'd like to end and conclude this sermon a little bit different than what we're accustomed to. We're going to do a little United Church throwback and finish the sermon with an acronym. <laughs> you ready for this? I initially went for the name David, but I fell short. So I'm going to ask for your grace as we use the name Dave. And admittedly, the acronym starts strong but does end poorly. So, the letter D. We are destined for dark days. I told you I'd start strong. We surely will have dark days. And either they will be cross-bearing or dark days of unbelief. And the choice is yours. Unless, of course, you're a Calvinist. And at that point, just use the word pre in front of the acronym so you're predestined for dark days. And then you'll be on your way. So A, accept God's authority. God will never abandon you. You have a role to play in God's story. Accept his authority. V, victory in God's sovereignty. God has a plan and it will be completed. And you can be a part of it. Or you can be against it. Either way, it happens, and God will be victorious. And then finally, E, engage God when you are exhausted. Don't do this with your enemy. Your enemy will seek to destroy you, and they will betray you. But God will refresh you, and he will guide you. Let us pray. Lord, as we learned about this episode of David's life, we ask that you assist us in our dark days. Help us to accept your authority, trusting in your divine plan for victory. Lord, we ask uh, that you, Lord, refresh us when we are exhausted and that we do not fall to our enemy. In Jesus' name, amen.